0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino.
1: That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: CFOs and controllers, there's a better way to manage cards, expenses, travel, and reimbursements you need a unified spend platform from Brex that lets you control all your spend in one place, automate compliance, and close the books faster. Get started at Brex.com. Nine months ago this week, Broadway theater shut down. And that started a ripple effect across America with theaters closing and their seasons being canceled. Now, one bright spot for the theater industry, though, has been South Korea. In part one of my conversation with director Sammy Kennold, She shares her experiences in Seoul, working on shows like Cats and Phantom of the Opera.
1: Phantom of the Opera opened in Korea on March 14th, which is the same week that Broadway and the West End shut down. To me, Phantom is kind of the show that could, because for a while it was the only large-scale English language production running anywhere in the world.
0: Welcome to the season four finale episode of Why I'll Never Make It. This podcast features insightful conversations about the realities of life in the arts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver Jones, and if you would like to support the ongoing work of this podcast, become a WinMe producer today. Go to donate.winmepodcast.com and contribute to the upcoming fifth season of the podcast. You'll also get access to members-only bonus episodes as well. That's donate.winmepodcast.com. Last month, I read an article on the Stage website, uh, which provides news, interviews, and advice on performing arts industry in the UK. And this article was all about South Korean theater. The steps they've taken to keep theater thriving and surviving throughout this pandemic. Sammy Canold has been working in London and Seoul and has seen firsthand how South Korean theaters have kept people safe and healthy inside theater venues. This article so moved me, so inspired me and even frustrated me that I had to bring its author onto the podcast. Sammy talks with me from London for part one of our conversation.
1: I've been living in London f- since the end of September, which has been fascinating and uh, different. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: can can only imagine how different it's been, yes.
1: Yeah, but you know, I love it. So it's that weird thing right now where it sort of doesn't really matter where you live because any work that exists is remote. It's kind of bizarre.
0: In part two, she'll talk about her inventive work as a director here in New York City and other theater venues. But for today... She gives us more details as to what South Korea is getting right as they continue to produce theater there, giving a clear indication and motivation of what is possible.
1: The two shows that I was predominantly working with in South Korea were Cats and Phantom of the Opera. And in both cases, um, we're talking about international companies so it's in Korea, but uh, the Phantom tour that was there was the world tour of Phantom. So they have cast members and crew members and, and staff from all over the world that are working on that tour. And then the company of Cats is predominantly Australian and British. So interestingly, it's it's much like, you know, any rehearsal process that I'm used to in America or or in Britain because sort of these mega musicals have been running around the world um, for so long that there's like a, a, a streamlined specific process. Um, I also did get to, observe rehearsals for some Korean language musicals that have Korean casts. And frankly, the the process is much the same. And I think the reason for that is that the musical theater industry in Korea is only about 20 years old. And any Korean producer will tell you that it came to be because uh, Phantom of the Opera came to Korea in, in 2001. And that sort of sparked a series of productions from there. But as a result of that, their ways of rehearsing, um, are are modeled after um, what they were sort of observing on these Western imported mega musicals.
0: And with regards to COVID, what restrictions, what limitations, what protocols have they put in place that it's different from what we've been doing here?
1: Korea, to me, is sort of the success story of. the the theatrical success story of of the pandemic in the sense that since this spring, most of their large-scale venues were operating at full capacity, you know, and we're we're ironically recording this on a day where Korea's cases um, hit the highest that they've hit since March. I mean, certainly the highest they've hit in five months and uh, their theaters were almost back up to 100% capacity after they'd hit a second wave, but now they're down to to 50 again. Um, So it's fluctuated, but the thing is, the government has not, at any point in the pandemic, forced every theater to close. Phantom of the Opera opened in Korea on March 14th, which is the same week that Broadway and the West End shut down to me, Phantom is, is kind of the show that could, because for a while, it was the only large scale English language production running anywhere in the world. And the only reason that they shut down for a time is because there were two positive cases in the company. But in that case, uh, miraculously, it didn't spread to the rest of the company, and they were back on stage in three weeks. So, you know, I'm just in awe of what they're doing and, and happy to you know sort of get into the specifics but in general um they're they're killing it
0: and as you said it's not an asian cast it's a cast from from the uk australia america so it's not like it's just a cultural thing that oh well Koreans are used to this so that's why they're better at it that, this was a mixed cast as well so so i mean
1: sort of i mean so i certainly credit korean culture and and the korean people for keeping this alive because you know in in many ways Yeah, the actors are amazing, but they're just sort of going where the producers and everybody who's creating everything is is telling them to go. So it's the local producers, uh, in the case of Cats and Phantom, their company called Essence Co., who time and again have said, you know, we want to keep going, we want to keep our productions alive. And they're working with a series of producers and general managers. Um, from Troyk Entertainment, GWB Entertainment, and the really useful group, which is Andrew Lloyd Weber's company, um, there you know it's sort of that conglomerate of people coming together and saying, okay, you know what, what do we have to do to keep these productions alive? But it's the Korean culture and the and the Korean people and the Korean approach to the pandemic that's making it possible because Korea's numbers are very low. That certainly plays a huge part in it. But also when you say to the Korean populace, you're going to have to follow these rules when you come to the theater, for the most part, they are smart about it. <laughs> so
0: right, right.
1: That's, that's good.
0: How have Korean protocols, because obviously in March, we didn't know as much as we know now, how have they changed or altered to maintain those low numbers?
1: Um, a number of ways. So I'll talk about it from an audience perspective first. So um, when you come to the theater uh, in Korea, you have your temperature checked, you walked through an electrostatic mister which mist you with disinfectant spray, then you are asked to fill out a form that basically confirms, I've not come into contact with anybody with COVID in the last 14 days, I've not left the country in the last 14 days, um, you know, a number, a number of questions. You follow a one-way path from the door to your seat, which is really important because you limit your points of contact in inside the building. Um, the seats are disinfected with mist, I either before every show or, or every day. And obviously a huge component is that the audience wears masks the whole time. Also a huge component of it is HVAC. So in Korean theaters, because most of them were built in the last 10 to 20 years, they're up to code in terms of ventilation and filtration systems, and many of our theaters in America are not. So you're talking about buildings that are designed in a safer way than ours are. It's not as if ours can't get to the point that theirs are at, but it requires effort and money.
0: (laughs) Very true. Now, one thing that you mentioned in your article was the importance that the arts plays in in South Korean culture and and so that's a big part of the reason why theaters have remained open while schools and other places would, would close yeah. down. And since it's a relatively new industry, a new art form, you know, as you said 20 years ago, why is it so important to them in their culture?
1: It's a good question. Um you know and I I don't I don't want to generalize except to say that Musical theater has caught on in Korea in a way that's really thrilling, and I'm I'm not I'm not quite sure why that is, but there's a lot of respect and reverence for it um, that sometimes we don't really see in America. But I think in terms of the government recognizing it as an event that can stay open, the my understanding of the reason for that is that because the government can see that theater is a uniquely controllable event. It's one where people are um, assigned seats so we can track and trace easily if someone has the virus. You have fewer points of contact um, at a theater than you do when you are walking around a museum, right? You're in, you, you come into contact with fewer people because you're sitting in one place the whole time, you know, um, and you have masks on. so it's So compared to going to a restaurant, you know, in terms of our understanding of how this virus transmits, you're much, much safer. And so I think that the government recognizes it's controllable. They also recognize that it is something that boosts morale in their country in a major way and provides jobs for a lot of people and not just the people who work in the theater, but the surrounding industries, the, you know, restaurants, the hotels, hospitality, you know, all all these things, Um, you know. and, and, And Korea's theater industry is unlike Broadway in the West End, it's not really a tourist market. So you're talking about something that is really uniquely employing Koreans. You know, um, you're not, you're not bringing in (laughs) megastars. I mean, well, you are, but they're, but they're (laughs) Korean. Um, uh, You know, if you bring in a K-pop star to be in your musical, it's feeding back into the Korean economy. So in, in that way, I think the government has, has recognized and the theater companies have, really this year done a remarkable job of lobbying the government to make them understand the value of their art form. So I think that's, that's a big component of it as well.
0: Is the Korean government a sponsor itself monetarily of the arts?
1: Yes and no. There are like government theaters. Uh, but like um, I believe it's, I, I hope this is correct. The Sejong arts center is a like seoul's government theater and i think that there's like a national theater of korea but that's not really a uh, musical theater based other than that it's it's producers operating independently renting venues you know it's it's brought by for the West Ham.
0: Yeah, because there's been a big push here with the the be an arts hero and that type of thing here in in the U.S., particularly in New York, but also efforts in various states of trying to get governments, both local as as well as federal, to recognize the importance of arts and to support that and put money and resources into it so that it can thrive. Uh,
1: absolutely. Um, there's a. I got invited to a press conference while I was there. Um, for an organization or like an initiative called The Show Must Go On that was organized by the eight leading producers of musical theater in Korea. And it was this like historic press conference for Korea because um, up until that point for the past 20 years, these eight leading producers have sort of been um, competitors. They haven't, they they really don't work together. They, you know, have have always been competing for audiences and talent. And as my Korean colleagues explained it to me, much more so than in America or in the West End, like these, these eight producers were like very competitive. But this was a landmark event because they all decided, you know, this pandemic is requiring us to come together and we're going to create this initiative. And the initiative was basically about raising money for their community to provide aid for theater artists who were out of work I think there's you know a bit of a perception when people hear korea's success story that you know korea's fine there's you know, there's nothing wrong um and that's not true um you know they're they're suffering too, but relatively speaking they're doing much better than we are <laughs> so
0: and so it's mainly the the bigger theaters that are able to keep going, but maybe smaller venues like some of those fringe type theaters that aren't able to keep going. Is that what I'm understanding
1: um well, it's the bigger theaters that have sort of banded together to form this. A coalition that will provide aid for their workers my understanding is that the small theaters actually were able to um continue to operate as well um it's just that on a project by project basis things sort of fell off the wagon and it sort of just depends on the project like for example you know i worked on the broadway production of natasha pierre and the great comet of 1812 and i was so excited because there was supposed to be a korean production opening there in or september or october And it was the one big musical that got fully canceled because it, you know, is staged in 360. So you have the audience in close proximity to the actors. And from a public health standpoint, that's not really a good idea. So there were casualties of the pandemic. And a lot of shows, you know, when Phantom had those two cases back in, in April, a lot of shows shut down because it was viewed as COVID has hit the theater industry. And then Phantom sort of led the way in reopening. Um, but they did have a a period where most of their shows were, were shut down as well.
0: What would you say that they have done right? What do you think that both the government, the theaters have done right in controlling coronavirus, but also keeping theaters afloat during that?
1: I think they've done everything right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I think they've, 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 been brilliant. Um, And it was such an honor to get to observe that because they kept everybody safe. And at the same time, they said, we understand that if we, you know, that if our industry shuts down because it's only 20 years old, it could be the death of our industry. And obviously in New York, we're in a bit of a different situation because our numbers were astronomically higher than than theirs were at the beginning of all this. And Broadway has been around much longer than the Korean theater industry has been around. So the decision to shut Broadway down initially, like obviously that was the right choice. But I think that Korea provides a model of how we can get back on our feet, perhaps sooner than we otherwise might if we didn't have international friends to look to and say, okay, that's working. That's successful, um, you know, and to me, the most important piece of information that's coming out of Korea is that um, there has, in, in the entire time that the Korean theater industry has been running during the pandemic, there have been zero cases of audience to audience transmission of COVID.
0: Right, which is just amazing.
1: It's incredible. I mean, and it's, and that is, and there have been multiple instances of people coming to the theater with COVID, Um, you know, obviously they didn't know it at the time, but they had it, Um, and then not giving it to anybody else. So that says to me, these measures are working. You know, obviously there are many complexities to theaters reopening. It's not just about health and safety, which is obviously the prerequisite, but it's also about, you know, do you have enough demand? Do you have tourists coming into your city that will buy tickets? You know, all, all these things, I understand their complexities, but I also think, you know, we've been dormant, almost a year now and people are leaving the industry in droves and people are out of work and people are desperate and, and we're losing our workforce. And I just feel like, you know, and I'm not position of power in the sense that, you know, of course I'm a director, so you're always in a position of of some sort of power, but, but not, I don't run a theater. I don't own a theater. I don't, you know, it's above my pay grade to say we should reopen on this date, but as someone who has seen what's effective in these other countries, I do feel like it's my responsibility to share that information in hopes that it could help get us back on our feet, you know, even, even if the industry reopens two weeks earlier um, because we learn from our neighbors, then it's all worth it
0: absolutely and that's what is so frustrating about this and why I wanted to talk to you because it is it is disheartening to see how how other countries other people are making it happen and then america just can't get our act together there just hasn't been that balance found it's just either shut it all down or or, or that's it i mean there there's no other uh, there's no other way there's no levels there's no and so you said Korea was doing everything right. So I just want to double check. Was there anything wrong? (laughs) Is there any other improvements? Anything that's like, well, they they were doing this, but they could probably do this better or maybe there's a way to adjust it when it comes to actual theaters.
1: Um, I think that like all of us, they learned and are learning. So, you know, um, many of these measures weren't sort of implemented day one you know it took time um and then i think you know what's exciting to me about I'm, I'm in london now and what's exciting to me about some of the things going on in london is that they're building on what they've learned from korea there are additional brains thinking about this we're adding things so by way of example like Andrew Lloyd webber extraordinarily took the model from korea implemented all the technology that he had learned about in korea in the London Palladium, uh, you know, along with his teams at Really Useful and LW Theatres. And they trialed the technology there.
0: As a side note, Lloyd Webber really has spent a fortune bringing protocols and devices from South Korea to London. One of those devices emits antibacterial mist that ticket holders pass through as they enter the theater. But just as he was about to install them, authorities from Public Health England stopped him out of a concern that the spray might damage contact lenses or cause skin rashes. This according to a report from the Washington Post. But despite this setback, Lloyd Webber continued to make upgrades and renovations to his theaters.
1: In addition to importing what they'd seen in Korea, they added additional things that they and their advisors had come up with as, you know, additional measures. So for example, in the London Palladium now, you have self-ionizing door handles and door plates that clean a door handle after anybody touches it. So that like between between one person touching it and the next person touching it, you get rid of the germs on the door handle. It was so funny because you know, I got to the Palladium and I was like, wow, I didn't see that in Korea. Um, so, you know, and then I, and then I asked them and they said, no, we, we came up with that ourselves. So we need to be talking to each other more. I mean, London is, or at least Andrew and, and his folks and, and, you know, Nika Burns and, and others here in the UK are doing a great job of taking in information from elsewhere and sort of adapting it to their own circumstances. And I think there's some of that going on in America, but we don't really know To what extent yet, because we haven't been able to to reopen it at any capacity.
0: And a part of that is leadership. And certainly uh, I've heard from other actors and, and people here in New York that the Broadway League has really not taken a leadership position as far as like that press conference you talked about that the Korean producers did. There's really been no big press conference, no big effort. To be like, okay, here's what the Broadway League is doing. Here is our step one, two, three, four, five of getting Broadway back. So that leads me to think, well, why can't what has happened in South Korea? Why can't that happen in New York and across America? What? Why do you think that is?
1: I think it's it's so complicated, you know. And I and I and like um, I'm. I'm you to can feel of-
0: free to, I, you know, I don't want to mince words because I, I'm I'm pretty frustrated. So believe
1: I, I, me, I'm I'm incredibly frustrated too. And I think, I mean, not I'm not necessarily frustrated with certain people because those of us who are freelancers don't know what's going on behind closed doors. I mean, I think what those eight producers did in Korea is a remarkable model that we could look to for um, how how to work together. You know, for me. I yes. am a freelancer. I, I'm not a you know producer. I don't own a theater, so it's hard to put myself in the shoes of those individuals and to understand the complexities of what they're you know juggling. But I do think that the way that those Korean producers work together is so admirable, and um, a lot of good came out of that. And I don't know that a lot of people know. About that unique collaboration. And so, you know, one of the things that I'm so passionate about with this project that I was doing in Korea is sharing what I got to see there in hopes that it could, you know, provide resources and information for those of us over here who are, you know, without any judgment to anybody, are behind our Korean colleagues in, you know, the journey to reopening. True, true. Um, Interesting, I think, is that a few. Uh, weeks ago, I uh, was on a panel for Ken Davenport's Theater Makers Conference. And so I got to watch some of the other panels. And so I I listened to a panel where Tom Schumacher spoke about this the state of the industry and a panel where Charlotte St. Martin spoke about the state of the industry. And it was like so exciting to get a um, window into what the conversations that are happening at the league are, because I think a lot of us are 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 wondering and curious. And I hope that more of that info sharing uh, is on the way, and I, th- I think it is, you know, um, the, the more that we can be transparent with our community, you know, where everything is at, the more that artists can plan their lives and the more that they can figure out what their prospects of working again are and when, when. Um, and, you know, the League obviously doesn't have all the answers. Nobody has all the answers, but um, I think they have more answers than than you or I do.
0: In that same Washington Post article I mentioned earlier, Charlotte St. Martin, president of the Broadway League, says that Andrew Lloyd Webber is a remarkable cheerleader. And for the past seven months, she has had a standing weekly call with Lloyd Webber and other really useful group executives. Yet in those seven months, the Broadway League and theater owners have enacted none of the steps Andrew Lloyd Webber took in order to open his theaters and start producing again. In fact, Lloyd Webber's team has also met with government officials there in the UK. Peter Marks, chief theater critic for The Washington Post, calls for a reality check. Quote, Can we Yanks possibly wrap our heads around the idea of an urgent White House confab with theater executives? And I couldn't agree more. Where is our Andrew Lloyd Webber here in America? Who is pushing theaters to learn from the successes in South Korea and London? And I'm not just talking to producers either. This goes to Actors' Equity Association as well. Back in April, Actors' Equity Council unanimously approved a rule that prohibited members from returning to work or accepting a contract for new employment, until equity could be satisfied that the employer had established adequate health and safety standards. This rule, while understandable, has made it rather difficult for most theaters to produce any work since. I talked to one artistic director who privately voiced his frustrations that equity was standing in the way of theater production rather than helping theaters find a way to do it safely. This artistic director ended up taking matters into their own hands and doing modified, socially distant online productions. In fact, many theaters turned to video as a way to produce theater and somehow make money during the pandemic. And some of them turned to SAG-AFTRA, the the TV film union, to make that happen. This created a months-long battle between the two unions over who had jurisdiction for these online streaming productions. But even with an agreement finally reached, theaters continue to be closed. Some have even shut their doors permanently. Audiences continue to be at home. And actors like myself continue to see no light at the end of a very long tunnel. Since the recording of this interview with Sammy, vaccine approvals have begun, which is a good sign. Yet still, New York City theater remains silent, and Equity has released no plans for theater production in light of this vaccine.
1: I I guess where I stand on it is, personally, whatever feelings I have about what, you know, what's going on or who should be doing more, I feel like the most productive way forward for me is to say, I have access to this information. I want to share this information. I don't understand or know all of the conversations that are happening between all of the organizations. um, But I hope that this information that I can share, you know, and other people can share can help accelerate uh, and you know, light fires under um those conversations. You know, and 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 to some extent, that's why, like, a diplomatic approach. You know, it's like I'm um, openly. You know, that that's how we have to be about. The, I mean, that's how I have to be about this. You know, in order to get anywhere, um and in order for the message to be heard. Because regardless of anything that I may think personally, if I come out and say this person's doing a bad job, this person's doing a bad job, this person's being doing a bad job, they're going to say, "Who the heck is this?" person who's telling us all we need to do our jobs better and doesn't run a theater herself. So I don't ever want to put myself in that position, even though I understand where that sentiment is coming from.
0: In anything that I've posted in any of the conversations I've had on this podcast, I've never called out specific people. I've talked about Broadway League in general or equity in general. And I think that's why an organization like Be An Arts Hero, which I had on the podcast, is so important because they are they're lobbying. They're, as you said, they're putting out that information about this is what our industry does. This is why it's so important. This is why we need to save it, to so protect these artists, get theater back and running in a safe and healthy way. It's all about information, and they don't care if the politicians, Democrat, Republican, Independent, what they go to them and share this information about why it's so important, and and they're not accusing anyone or pointing fingers. They're only. The only thing they're pointing at is this is why it's important and why why we need to do it. So, yes, yes, you're right. It doesn't behoove us to call out this person, that person directly and be like, you're stupid. How dare you? Yeah, that's not going to help anyone.
1: Well, if if other people want to take that approach, that's fine. <laughs> I'm just sort of explaining for me, I don't know what it's like to make decisions about when theaters reopen because i don't run a theater but i do know you know what i saw in korea and i do think that there's information to be shared and i do want to work really hard to help in any way that i can um, because i've had this bizarre experience of living in two countries this year that have gotten it you know relatively right korea more so than, than the uk but
0: yes we we want to talk in general terms we want to educate we want to support and, and not just chastise people and then put them on the defensive because then, you know, human nature, then we don't want to do anything. We just push back against that. But it's been, you know, since March that there's really been no theater. There's been little like glimmers of this regional company or that one. But other than that, theater is just off the table for the most part. And Broadway has said, well, fall of 2021, that's when we're going to do it. And it's like, really? So, like, nothing can happen till then? And as you have have shown and you wrote about, South Korea is making it happen. So there is a way. It, it still just gets back to why isn't that happening? Why isn't there some three-month, six six-month plan, whatever it is, to implement those things that they've seen in Korea?
1: Well, yes and no, in my opinion, because in London, part of the reason that they're able to open up at 50% capacity, which is what they're about to do come December 2nd, is because the lack of union deals that are in place in the UK, as compared to Broadway, it's a chasm, you know, and, and making, putting up a show on Broadway is far more expensive than it is to put up a show on the West End. So our financial structure of our industry, speaking about Broadway specifically, makes it really hard. And I get that. And, you know... I, in that, I'm not reversing my position. I'm just saying, you know, I think in a way, because, you know, my mother is a, a producer, so I've grown up in a household where we talk about, you know, ticket sales and revenue all the time. So I I feel like I'm sort of in a fortunate position where, yes, I'm a freelancer. Yes, I've been out of work for a year. Yes, that's been devastating. Yes, I want theater to be back tomorrow. But also, I have the benefit of understanding where I feel like most of us freelancers wouldn't have access to, you know, what are the margins that we're looking at if we try to open up tomorrow. So I think what we need to do is find a middle ground that, you know, re- requires different people to, you know, compromise and come to the table and um, requires innovative solutions and requires collaboration between our governor and our arts community, which, for all I know, is in action and happening, I just don't know about it. Um, so <laughs>
0: we just don't know. There's there's know. that lack of
1: communication. But again, my approach has to be not a critical one in that regard. Like I don't necessarily criticize the governor for not putting out press releases about his communications with Broadway, because. Any information that you put out could change the next day. So I, I understand there are a lot of complexities to this. I just think hopefully we can head in the right direction.
0: Yes, yes. And I and I appreciate your diplomatic way of, of putting it. But, you know, I see an example as far as what's out there. And as they say, perception is everything. But like you, I know that there's never just one side to any story. There's never just, this is the way it's happening and not recognize all the things that might be going on behind the scenes. That I'm sure is happening. But until it's communicated, then we don't know what plan there might be. It's like, if, if they're thinking one, two, three, four, five, well, I can help with number three or I can be a part of number two. You know, there, there's different ways that we can then start to be like, if that's what you want to do, here's 14 other people who've done that and they can be a part of it. Because the more you communicate a plan, the more people can latch onto it and be like, I can help with that. Or, well, actually, I've done this before. What if you did this? And then it starts just a further communication. And that's what frustrates me. And I'm here in New York. I live in New York and, you know, equity puts out an email every now and then I try to read as much as I can in the times or things about New York theater. And it's just a lot of silence. That's what frustrates me because it just feels like, well, we're just going to wait on a vaccine. Cause that's all that we can do. And until then enjoy Netflix, that's what it feels like. And that's, that's really, really frustrating.
1: I, I, I understand that. And, and, and I, I, I understand all sides of the argument, I guess, is what I'm saying. And, and, and I hope we can reopen as soon as, as it's safe and practical to do so. And hopefully that's sooner than later.
0: Exactly. And getting back to that producing, that money part of it, do you think that this pandemic and, and the way that it's kind of brought up funding the arts and money that goes into producing, do you think it might start to change that financial structure to make it easier?
1: I, it would be great. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I know that there are, I, I it, you know, to be honest, I don't know a lot about the union negotiations with the league, but I know that it's a complicated topic. Yeah. Uh, I hope that it does become easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because equity is just one of many unions. There's the, the IATSE technical side of it. There's a musician's union. You know, there's all these different players
1: in that. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm a member of a union and right. I I I um, you know, respect and believe in the purpose of unions and fully support the purpose of unions. Um I just, you know, from the cheap seats it seems to me like there's um you know, some work that has to be done to make sure that we um can continue sustainably. Both in terms of making sure that our artists are cared for and protected and in terms of making sure that shows have a chance at survival. So how that works out is a problem that boggles my brain and why I'm not a producer, why I'm a director.
0: Yeah. Because there is the individual detailed work of taking care of this artist or this writer or director, you know, and making sure that the, the cogs of the wheel are taken care of. And then there's the bigger picture of just the arts in general, supporting that and making sure that it's, uh, it gets all the foundations that it needs in order to to stand up. So there's a lot of lot of pieces that go into that. So that is certainly one thing that uh, that that is that is true. No matter what country, South Korea has their own you know detailed as well as big picture things that they've had to take care of. No doubt after this conversation with Sammy, you'll want to read her full article on the stage, and a web link has been included in the show notes. I really appreciate the insights and details that Sammy has given us in order that we can see how theater production is possible, how it can be possible going forward. New York City in particular, for being the mecca of theater worldwide, has certainly been lacking when it comes to forward thinking and keeping theater alive here in the city. Maybe as more and more people look into the actions of South Korea, then the more likely it is that we actors here in America, and particularly New York, can get back to auditioning and get back to work. And speaking of work, in part two, I'll be talking with Sammy about the work that she has done as a director she has done some amazingly inventive and creative productions namely the musical violet actually on a moving bus ragtime the musical set in ellis island and she directed the most recent revival of *Avida* at broadway encores at city center well thank you for joining me for part one of my conversation with sammy i'm your host patrick oliver jones the recorder, editor, and producer of this podcast. Dylan Adams is the booking producer. And as we head into Season 5, I am still looking for a production assistant, so if you or someone you know would be interested in that position, you can reach out to me at whyillnevermakeit at gmail.com. Music in this episode has been provided by Blue Dot Sessions and Chad Crouch. This podcast is a member of the Helium Radio Network and Broadway Makers Alliance. And if you know someone who could benefit from conversations like these, or maybe there's a producer that you know that could really benefit from the conversation Sammy and I had, please share this episode with them. And make sure and join me and Sammy for part two as we talk more about why I'll never make it.